in a restaurant shortly after they landed at Paris Charles de Gaulle's airport. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. Alibaba files for its initial public offering in the United States. Twitter stock falls 18 percent on the first day that insiders can sell. And Disney announces very strong earnings, handily beating analyst estimates. So some food for thought here as we get started on this Wednesday morning. One of the seminal Internet companies to come public really over the last 10 years or so. Scott Kessler, Capital IQ. You're going to hear lots of comments like this. Alibaba's a juggernaut. It's one of the top five Internet properties in the world. And I think the IPO roadshow that's going to play out over the next few months is going to be a bit of a coming out party globally for Alibaba. Eric Jackson there, Iron Fire Capital. A closer look at that for you this morning on the program, the uh, filing of the IPO, and also a well-known hedge fund manager who said that tech stops, uh, stocks were in a bubble. We wrote in the letter that there's an, we thought there's another tech bubble, but we said it was an echo bubble. And I'd like to emphasize the echo, meaning it's a smaller bubble. So that's David Einhorn, a really well-known fund, uh, hedge fund manager. Turns out he's not short the entire tech complex. We're actually massively long tech. We're, our biggest position is Apple and then Micron. So that's very interesting. Uh, his name was thrown about a lot when people were selling, saying even uh, someone like David Einhorn said that it was a bubble. So we'll look at that in our interview segment. So we'll crunch through what we've got on Alibaba. We'll also speak to Bill Hunt of Bill Hunt Worldwide about mainlanders investing in Canadian and U.S. real estate. Also, the implications of China taking over from the United States as the world's largest economy. Martin Henneke of the Henley Group will join us for that and for some general discussion. We'll also get some market commentary from Andrew Sullivan of Maybank Kimming Securities. Markets uh, in Asia are slightly lower this morning, at least in a couple of markets. The Nikkei is down 163. It's a drop of 1%. Australia, not, not too much of a change, but the ASX uh, 200 down six points at 54.55. And the index in uh, Seoul, the Kospi, is actually a little bit higher, up about a fifth of a percent. The dollar yen is now 101.75. Not much change there. The euro has moved off 138. Uh, U.S. dollars is trading now 1.3929 U.S. dollars. We did see a weakening of the dollar overnight. Gold at $1,307.20 an ounce. So the top story this morning in all the financial rags, Alibaba filing for what might become the biggest U.S. initial public offering ever. We don't know the size yet. The $1 billion regulatory filing today is just a placeholder so that they can calculate registration fees that will later change. Alibaba didn't say how many shares it will offer or what the valuation will be. More here from Eric Kessler. When we look over the F1 filing, which obviously became available within the last few minutes, the number that really struck me was over a quarter of a trillion um, dollars in gross merchandise volume. That's what the company was responsible for in terms of sales over the last year. That is um, a very, very large number. 
Alibaba's current market value is estimated at $168 billion. That's bigger than 95% of the S&P 500 companies. According to Bloomberg, it's the most valuable Internet company after Google. Bloomberg's Corey Johnson says many, though, will be a little skeptical of the possible valuation. We're talking about a, a proposed valuation for this business greatly in excess of companies with similar revenues and similar business models. Now, I, I, I think that we're going to really struggle with, with the words to describe this business for U.S. investors, for U.S. consumers, because there really is no comparison. There are just It's got bits and pieces of payment like a PayPal. It's got bits and pieces of an auction like an eBay. It's got bits, bits and pieces of a, of a, of a platform for, for commerce like really nothing that, that we have here in the U.S. that sells from business to business. But it is very big. It's estimated by insiders that the firm is looking to sell about a 12% stake, and that might make the offering about $20 billion. Alibaba is a dominant provider when it comes to the Chinese e-commerce market, which is big and growing substantially. But what's noteworthy is they actually broke out um, their Chinese e-commerce revenues and then international e-commerce revenues. And international e-commerce revenues accounted for, by my calculations, 15 to 20 percent of overall revenues. It's already pretty big and it's growing substantially as well. We think Alibaba definitely wants to become more than the dominant Chinese e-commerce company. I think they have aspirations uh, well beyond that. Here's what happens now. The company will begin a roadshow process and it will embark on discussions with potential investors. It will take a couple of months to play out. Then a price for the shares will be set. David Garrity from GVA Research says that many people may have to sell their own tech stocks to take part in this. We're getting to a point right now where, you know, high percentage of companies are unprofitable. Obviously, Alibaba is profitable. Um, but the question is, is how much of a weight is this going to put on the overall sector? This is a large transaction. Obviously, people are going to have to sell stocks out of their portfolios to buy this deal. Clearly, we've already seen sort of an after-hours correction in terms of Yahoo. The other question you have to raise here is that even though we've seen a big pullback in terms of likes of Amazon, given the fact that Alibaba is a competitor and will be likely a competitor globally, are we going to see a pullback in terms of other large cap stocks like Amazon around the, the filing here for the IPO? The company also has to decide uh, whether to list its shares on the New York Stock Exchange or on the NASDAQ. And there's still some question about what happens with Alipay, the payment services provider separated out from Alibaba. The whole Alipay part, um, which, uh, you know, it's sort of, um, you know, people are waiting to see. And there were kind of rumors before the filing whether whether it would be part of the filing or wouldn't be or would come back in the future and and. Because that's obviously a huge, um, a huge part of this story as well that, again, not a lot of people have been paying attention to because it hasn't been formally part of the group up until now. On Wall Street, stocks were down for the third time in four days. As we mentioned in our headlines, Twitter led another sell-off in Internet shares. Twitter down 18 percent as about 480 million shares from insiders became eligible for a sale. So they have this lockout period after an IPO when they can't sell. And today was the first day they could sell. And I guess a lot of people did because, again, the stock down 18 percent. It was interesting as well to hear from David Einhorn. We played some comments from him earlier. He said, he doesn't think as has been he, he doesn't actually think as has been reported that tech stocks are in a bubble we wrote in the letter that there's an, that we thought there's another tech bubble but we said it was an echo bubble and i'd like to 
emphasize the echo, meaning it's a smaller bubble. It's not contained with all tech. We're actually massively long tech, where our biggest position is Apple, and then Micron, and Marvell. But we think that there's a sub-segment of tech, which is high-momentum stocks that have, have gotten completely out of control in terms of their valuation, and we think that those stocks actually did reach sort of a bubble proportion. Netflix and Amazon down more than 4%. The S&P 500 dropped almost 1% to 1867. And the Nasdaq was off 1.4%. The Dow, which is of the very large companies, down 129 to 16,401. Well, let's uh, say good morning now to Andrew Sullivan, Director of Sales Trading at Maybank Kimang Securities. Andrew, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Well, it doesn't set up for a possible nice open here, I guess, in Hong Kong. Uh, what's happening really with confidence these days? It seems like markets are just selling off. Well, I think, I mean, I think you still have to remember that markets are trading near highs. And uh, people are looking around, I think, really for uh, what's going to drive these markets higher. If there's anything driving the markets higher, then uh, people tend to take, take the profit that they can see out there. Do you think that most of the news that we play off has been negative? You had today, for instance, um, quite a lot of pretty good earnings news after the bell. A couple of companies that we don't normally mention on this, uh, Electronic Arts and uh, Activision Blizzard, which are games makers, but also Disney, which is a bellwether, profit of uh, $1.80 a share, and the analysts had only expected 96 Seems like the earnings have been better than expected, yet people are just you know, hitting the sell button. Well, I think we're still seeing the, the, the classic here, though, that with the exception of a few good companies that you've mentioned, that, that a lot of the earnings have actually disappointed. We're still seeing um, you know, growth coming through, but it's not real demand. It's still through cost savings. We're not seeing companies uh, spending CapEx, which would be a, an indication of their confidence. Uh, and I think until people see more confident moves by companies in spending CapEx and real demand coming through from the end user, then investors are going to remain, remain a little bit skeptical. People are still buying U.S. Treasuries, and that is forcing the yield down. The yield on the 10-year note today down a couple of basis points to 2.59%. That doesn't seem to inspire confidence that the U.S. economy and, and thus um, you know, markets uh, are looking healthier. What I think it really tells you is the, is the fact that actually people don't, are, are, are at the moment certainly aren't expecting much inflation to come into the system. And I think we definitely saw that in the jobs number last week where uh, wages aren't growing. And obviously if wages aren't growing, then consumer confidence is unlikely to be increasing either. And that's going to hurt the retail sector, which is a big driver uh, for, for this part of the world. I want to go back and play a couple more comments from David Einhorn uh, because he gave an interview to Bloomberg and uh, had access to it. So um, he was talking about um, IPO stocks of late and, and technology stocks, social media, Internet stocks. And by the way, the Bloomberg IPO index tracking stocks, including Twitter, slumped 2.3%. We hear more now from David Einhorn. These are mostly very good businesses, but there's a difference between what the right price for a very good business is and where some of these stocks have gotten. And this is what happens in bubbles and what happens in momentum. You know, if you have good news and, and it's a penny or a percent better than you thought it was, and then the stock has to gap up 15% higher in response to that, and you do that four or five or six quarters in a row, before you know it, the stock has doubled or tripled, but the results might only be 5% better than you thought that they were. Even among the big names that have profits, um, many are down quite a lot. Uh, I'll mention one, Twitter, for instance, down more than 50%. When these stocks become disconnected, they're very difficult to short because 
when they're at a price that's a silly price, they can just keep going. And so twice a silly price is not twice as silly. And by inference there, uh, Andrew, uh, uh, half of a silly price doesn't necessarily mean it uh, represents value. Well, I think that's, the, that's the part of the problem is the fact that at the moment, because we're not seeing any major drivers, that people are tending to concentrate into large liquid stocks. Uh, and those become almost zombie-like because people don't want to sell them. And then there's a bit of news that suddenly drives the whole market uh, and, the, and the gameplay you know, changes dramatically. And that makes it very difficult. You know, we're still not seeing you know, certainly the large institutional investors confident enough to go back into the, the small, inter- uh, medium-sized enterprises where there's usually outperformance but obviously more risk uh, and certainly a liquidity risk. And this is one of the things I think at the moment is constraining the markets. What could be a catalyst? Uh, for instance, could could Alibaba? Is it big enough to be a catalyst? Um, I'm not sure that really the, the Alibaba is going to be a major catalyst. I think people are actually looking for uh, removal of a couple of overhangs. Obviously, the the situation in rec- Ukraine is is causing concerns, as is growth in the U.S. economy. You know, it's 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 growing, but it's much slower than we've seen previously. And I think, you know, a lot of people are actually getting slightly worried about the, the Internet-type sector. You know, we've seen, you know, Facebook that IPO'd well. But, you know, people are really starting to question, well, how, is the, how, is these, how are these companies really going to monetize their products? Uh, and are they just going to be, uh, is this a rerun of the uh, um, dot-com era again? Uh, and is it coming to an end? We'll get the HSBC China Services PMI today. Uh, how does the Chinese economy look to you at the moment? Well, I think we're still seeing, you know, we have to bear in mind that the, the new government there is looking to try and change it from an export-driven one to a domestic consumption one, and that's going to take time. And also, we're still facing, as we've been saying earlier, you know, the global economy is still slowing, and we saw that probably from the OECD uh, downgrade on growth overnight. So, there will be, you know, concerns, but I think it's still a matter of looking at companies, looking at good brand companies that have, you know, good products, good management, uh, and should provide good results. All right, Andrew, thank you for joining us here on Money for Nothing. Andrew Sullivan, Director of Sales Trading at Maybank Kim Eng Securities. Land sales in 20 major cities in China fell 5% in March from a year earlier. That is the biggest drop in at least a year. It's according to the China Real Estate Information Corporation, data compiled by Bloomberg. The value of land sales in the third-tier cities declined 27% last month, according to SoFun Holdings. So we'd like to say good morning now to Bill Hunt, the chief executive officer of Bill Hunt Worldwide, for a look at uh, mainlanders buying property elsewhere outside of China. Bill, good morning. Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to be on your program. Today. Yeah, I said good morning. Good day to you. Uh, where are you joining us from? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm joining you from uh, the beautiful uh, city of Portland, Oregon, on the West Coast. Ah, quite often referred to as one of the most livable cities in the United States. So you're obviously a pretty smart guy. Um, so we wanted to look at these trends. We hear anecdotally that mainlanders have bought a lot of property in New York City, often paying cash for these big uh, multi-million dollar deals, Los Angeles, Vancouver, elsewhere. What, in your view, is driving this trend, and does it continue? Well, we see it really being driven by probably three major reasons. And the biggest one, would, in my opinion, is the, the education factor. 
when you look at what's going on, 235,000 students out of 820,000 total foreign students, 235,000 students came from China. And what we see and what we know statistically, about 30 to 40 percent of those students will buy a home through their parents. So that's probably the, the single biggest driver. And then secondly, it's just the desire to purchase property in North America because it's transparent. Uh, there is a traditional appreciation over the long term, and it's a very stable investment. So those are the, probably the two key reasons. And thirdly is the, those Chinese that are looking to, uh, to emigrate. But mainly it's an education driver. And is it tied to wanting to squirrel money outside of China? Well, that is part of it, and that's what I, I when I refer to the uh, the students, mom and dad are buying that property. They do have excess uh, uh, capital in China that they're looking to diversify and invest overseas, especially in view of what you were saying with the uh, the uncertainty of the uh, the real estate uh, market today on the mainland. We've we've seen a backlash here in Hong Kong on mainland buyers. I understand the same thing has happened, uh, perhaps to a slightly lesser degree, in Vancouver. Is that happening in uh, you know in other cities around the United States? I certainly I haven't noticed it in cities like Los Angeles. No, and in fact, if uh, if you look at, at that whole California market, uh, 50% of the uh, Asian buyers in North America are purchasing in the California market, and it's primarily in uh, in the Los Angeles uh, market. San Diego would be the second biggest, followed by San Francisco. So if anything, the... Um, the, the number of Asian inquiries and buyers is increasing over the last uh, two quarters. We have in the headlines this morning an interesting comment about the um, yuan depreciation here of late. For people not following this, uh, the latest uh, fixing for the for the renminbi is six point one five six. However, the uh, index is routinely trading under the six twenty level, meaning over it in terms of the number, weaker against the dollar. It's down about three percent. But this morning, uh, one of the officials, uh, uh, Yu Yongding, who is a former PBOC advisor, says that this depreciation won't become a long term trend. Are you hearing anything about the value of the currency? One would suspect maybe not so much. No, not so much. And we really, you know, we've been noticing that we haven't seen a big impact on that. And I think, again, one of the reasons why, although the, the you know, that you do have that weaker currency, the benefits of buying the properties here as a safe harbor far outweigh that. So we think that that it's going to only have a minimal impact. We're starting to see prices come down in China. That really hasn't happened all that much. Uh, is that having an effect, or will it uh, Will it lead to, in any way, an increase in buying, uh, say, in North America? Well, I believe that it will, because the, as the prices fall or becomes an uncertainty or in the security of the investment um, in, in, the, in the housing in China, Therefore, they are looking for alternatives. There's a little bit of a fear factor. And yes, there is a, an increased desire and activity in the acquisitions of properties throughout, uh, throughout all the major cities here in the United States. New York, of course, being one of the, one of the main ones. Are you at all nervous that uh, a protracted downturn in Chinese real estate is coming and that could have an extremely deleterious effect on the economy? I, um, I've been watching it, and when you do look at what the developers are doing in the second-tier cities, uh, 
you know, they're dropping those prices, as you said, 27, 30%. Uh, it hasn't really impacted too much yet in, uh, in the Beijings and Shanghais. It is slowing down. Um, I don't know that it's going to be a crash. I don't think the bubble is, is going to burst to the extent like we had here in 2008 and 2009. But I do believe that there is a, a price adjustment that is, that is coming. Uh, again, China has an oversupply today in the second and third tier cities, but it's still a powerful uh, uh, driver. The, the first tier cities, there's still a, a strong demand. So it's kind of slow. There's going to be a, an adjustment, but I don't foresee it that it's going to be a dramatic crash. All right, Bill, thanks very much for joining us here uh, on this program, Money for Nothing, here in the morning in Hong Kong, and we hope to talk again. Bill Hunt, CEO of Bill Hunt Worldwide. Money for Nothing at 23 minutes past 8 o'clock. Okay, we say good morning now to Martin Henneke, Chief Economist at the Henley Group. We're interested in ideas on the program, not really purely making money, but when you invest, you hope to support yourself for the future. And of course, making money, Martin, gives you more freedom to do the things that you like to do. So it's one of those pursuits that we all sort of engage in, hopefully not at the expense of uh, much more humanitarian pursuits. But anyway, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so we've been you know, looking at this idea of China overtaking the United States in terms of the size of its economy, possibly later this year, according to estimates uh, conducted in conjunction with the World Bank. Does that mean anything? I mean, it's the biggest country in the world. Perhaps it should be the biggest economy. Well, um, we always look, as you just said, you know, from an, from the investor's perspective, as that we are striving for to to secure your wealth or maybe grow the wealth. So that's that's always the aim and the angle with which we look we look at all the things. Firstly, it tells you, well, China is very big, obviously, and there may be a lot of opportunities just as a result of being, you know, the the largest economy in the world, and also for investors looking at a diversified portfolio. Um, you know, in many cases, people say, well, we don't like China because it's always in the news with a property bubble and so on. But can you really ignore China and also its currency, uh, you know, noting that it has become probably already the largest economy in the world? And there one thing, you know, so you m- meaning you talk, in terms of purchasing power parity. Uh, that's right. Yeah, that's okay. right. Which which many, you know, which many economists argue reflects really the size of economy much more realistically than the U.S. dollar based So the actual um, analysis. the actual U.S. dollar size of the economy may only be 9 trillion versus 16 trillion of the U.S., but uh, the purchasing power parity puts it up there. So continue your thought. uh, You know, are there positive implications in this or something else? Well, I would say firstly, it's something you should definitely look at, you know, in terms of um, portfolio allocation because of the large size. But then, um, obviously, if, if the valuations weren't right or if the prospects weren't right, then you may not want to include it. But since you just discussed the, the property market there and the risk there and the slowing, so I think that's something very interesting to look at because the property market over the last five odd years, as we all know, has been really rising uh, very significantly in, in Beijing, actually quite a, 
prices almost quadrupled. But very interestingly, what many people aren't quite as much aware of is that the Shanghai market, for example, the, the equity market during the same time period actually fell by about 65%. Which is, which is a bit odd. So certainly now, relatively speaking, we think that the equity market does pri uh, provide very reasonable valuations again. And if the property market slows, we might even see some of the money flowing back from property into equities, the, the opposite way that we saw since 2007 when the high was reached in the equity market and then money flowing from equities um, to property. People normally always like to buy things that has risen, but I think that's one of the biggest investment mistakes people, um, people make. You I'm, look, I'm, should look at value rather than Past performance. I'm a little perplexed by this because um, every analyst on this program says, you know, I'm seeing value there and people should think about um, buying Chinese equities. And yet the market, which is the, you know, the people who are actually voting with buying and selling has driven these uh, stocks down uh, rather relentlessly and consistently for the past seven years. So something is out of whack. What is it? Well, it's happened. Uh, 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 it happens. And sometimes I would think the reason why, why things happen can just be that the majority of investors don't really think that much or are stupid. Sometimes stupidity can be very much a valid so reason all, for saying, no, you, you have all seen All you that. analysts are smart and, and the people buying and selling are stupid. <laughs> no, not necessarily. I'm saying that. I mean, even, even the majority of the investment advisors and don't really often look for, for value um, investments. And sometimes you just see markets hitting lows and not coming back for a long time. I mean, Japan has hit lows and suddenly it reverses um, based on valuations. And that happens time and time again. But it took the three arrows for the market to really rebound sharply. Properly, didn't it? Well, if you if you argue like that, then do you think that property in China is now the greatest value? I mean, actually, talking about China, people always tend to be very negative. Um, if you if you think that the market is right, and rather than you know the the value numbers is right, if you think the market is right, then China property should presumably be a great investment. So you can also argue argue that way, right? But I, I, for China, I always you you find a negative reason. We take no position in this, but we just note the numbers, and the numbers they they continue to be weak. Uh, at some point, they will change. Do you feel that, that that change is nigh? Because if it happens in 18 months, like the analyst Mark Matthews, who was on two days ago, said, he said sometime in the next 18 months, he said, in fact, in 18 months, the Chinese equity market would be 50 percent higher. But if it waits 17 months to happen, you've got dead money for 17 months. But where exactly are you sure to be to be making money elsewhere? That's the first question that, that to everybody totally wants to know. That's Everything the first looks thing. terrible. But the other thing is, you say, well, the, uh, the the numbers are weak. I don't know what really you mean, but that the Chinese numbers are weak. Well, I mean, some of the numbers, yes, but the GDP is still pretty strong. I mean, the US actually had a negative first quarter. I mean, there was, this, you know, probably. I mean, they say officially still zero point one. Slightly positive, but, you know, but more uh, and more staying a negative. No, yeah, when I say the numbers, right. I just meant that um, that people buying and selling stock, they're selling them at lower prices. Hence, the, the Shanghai Composite number has been going down for a long time. You know, I, th I think a lot of people um, like you are saying, look, th this too shall end. Uh, people who are waiting are saying, you know, I'm worried about the whole economy blowing up, so I'm not going to buy now. That's what, they're, that's what they're thinking. Well, well, I would say, you know, it's never, never anything is totally sure. We don't know for to totally sure if the Shanghai market will pick up and, and when. Um, but, you know, you have to invest in something, if only not to go backwards due to the inflation risk. So okay, we have no time left. But um, in, in 15 seconds, do, do you have a couple of companies you like? I would just say, as part of a diversified portfolio, you should have some um, Chinese equities in there. Sectors that we like, well, 
Uh, I would just emphasize we don't want to exclude Chinese banks, which everybody seems to hate most, nor property stocks. Some of those actually trade as the largest, uh, at the largest discount compared to their book values okay. and very reasonable price-to-earnings ratios. Okay, Martin, thank you very much. Always interesting to talk to you. Uh, you tend to be a little bit of a bear, and today you're actually quite positive. So, wow, that's a refreshing cup of freshly squeezed orange juice this morning to go along with my double espresso. Thank you very much. Martin Haneke, Chief thank Economist. You. At the Henley Group, money for nothing at 8.30. The Nikkei down 250 points at 14,206. Uh, the other markets all lower this morning. Australia half a percent, Seoul about a fifth of a percent. Weather today, well, let's see what uh, we have in store for you. Cloudy to overcast with a few rain patches. Maximum temperature 22. Thanks for joining us this morning on this Wednesday. The latest news with Etienne Lamy-Smith. Six people injured at Guangzhou Railway Station in a knife attack yesterday are now out of danger. The incident followed two other attacks at mainland train stations in recent weeks, which the authorities have blamed on Uyghur separatists. And rumours ran rife with state media fanning the flames by running reports of up to four attackers wearing white caps and wielding knives. But it now appears there was just one man involved who was shot and wounded by police. Here's China analyst Mark O'Neill. It was a crowded railway station. It was premeditated. Uh, the man uh, acted very quickly and wounded six people. So it's, it's, it's clearly intended to 